It's the Quotidian. This is episode 20 with the painter Daniel Domig. Welcome back to the Quotidian Podcast. I'm Bradley Dennis. I'm pleased to bring to the show the deep thinking of an artist I admire whose work continues to intrigue and challenge me. Daniel Domig's work infiltrates the unconscious with alarming precision and emotional intensity. His work contends with the insta-image and digital marketplace of immediatism that floods modern consciousness. And his is a process-based art form, exploring human connection, among other things. We spoke about these connections, about the loss of poetry as a means of expression of the soul, and about how paintings provide us hospitality. His art invites the viewer to linger and listen to the sounds of our own inner voices in dialogue with his images. Daniel studied painting at the Academy of Fine Arts in Vienna, Austria, where he currently lives with his family. He has exhibited widely in both Europe and North America over the past two decades and is currently shown in Sydney, Edinburgh, New York, among others. Thanks for being here. To support the podcast, please consider joining our Patreon as a subscriber and receive merchandise as well as exclusive content and the chance to be on the show. Visit patreon.com slash The Quotidian. The Quotidian is produced by carolinacommons.org, whose mission it is to bring out the creative voice in individuals, in teams, and in communities as the essential ingredient to address problem spaces. To learn more, please visit carolinacommons.org. And now, drink your fill of the refreshing and quenching draft of creative truth that is Daniel Domig. Daniel, welcome to the Quotidian. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Well, thank, thanks, thanks a lot for having me. It's an honor to, you know, despite the distance between us, to have have this conversation. Um, it's always amazing to me. <laughs> I mean, I remember when internet started, not to date myself, but the fact that that we've come to the point where we can have in-depth conversations to get a sense of someone from you know thousands of miles away and to still feel us that sense of of connection such as it is yeah ab- absolutely i think especially for for me as a as an artist you know who's gotten to know colleagues and friends throughout the last 20 years who've um, who live you know um, kind of spread out over the globe. Yeah. It's been, it's been great being able to just 
keep in touch. I have a really close friend uh, who's in Sydney, a painter mm-hmm. that I got to know, uh, you know, almost 16 years ago in Paris. And, you know, meanwhile, we both, we both have um, families and continued on with our individual practice of being an artist. And as an artist, have finding the right kind of people to come here, create a family is, yeah. is special in itself. And so knowing that you don't have to follow them to wherever they are to, to have community with them is, is great. It's funny that you mentioned that because I, I, I think I was talking to one of my daughters about developing habits and quoting to her this maxim or, or idea that you are, you tend to gravitate towards the average of the five people you hang out with the most in terms of habits and behaviors. And, and hearing you talk about the importance of cultivating friends and artists, do you find that pivotal in your work that both for how you are affected, how you translate, how you see and refresh that? Absolutely. I think one of the, one of the real benefits I think of having a a live dialogue with, with a, a close colleague who happens to also be a friend is on the one hand, obviously they, they challenge you, you know, they ask questions, they, they, they push back on certain things that might've come too easily. They'll, they'll point out, you know, some, some minor or sometimes major, you know, um, errors in your work, which, Mm -hmm. which we ask them to, right. I think as artists, you kind of, you look for good feedback or good criticism. Yeah. Um, but I've also found that the best of my, I think that what's really important, and I think my most of my friends have been gracious enough to grant me that time, is they allow you to think out loud. Um, yes. This idea that, you know, from certainly for me, um, I'm someone who really doesn't have anything to say until he opens his mouth. <laughs> and so having someone there who invites that, and allows me to just think um, while while speaking um, is is such a gift for me to even come to terms with or with with certain concepts that I've been working on or just kind of you know um, getting to grips with with the world as it is right now. Um, yeah. And I think this this space that I think op- that good dialogue can open up is very unique and, and it's performative in a sense by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can cultivate that over years and years of developing a certain way of, of giving each other that, that mutual space to just think out loud, um, it's a, it's almost, um, priceless. Yeah. So I want to avoid trying to bring the conversation to me because my, um, <laughs> my own experience as a visual artist is very limited. Um, I did experience some wonderful moments in undergrad discovering chalk pastels and, you know, my background as a, as an artist is as a, a performer. 
and and so that that's the canvas that I'm very familiar with. And so I'm it's quite obvious that your your work, your expression, uh, and your articulation is quite honed. And so I'm I'm particularly interested to hear from you about your work, what aspects give you the most joy or, or at least the most intensity, if that's, if that's, uh, if you understand what I mean. Wow. The most joy. I was hoping for an easier question with like the most pain, (laughs) which I think so many artists are, um, prone to talk about, uh, much more readily. But, um, one of the things when, that comes to mind right kind of off, off, off the top of my head is when people ask me about, should I make my hobby of being a watercolor artist, you know, and I paint on weekends, should I, should I maybe do this full time? And, and I think a lot of artists, I mean, this is a well-known saying is, is if you're, if you have an alternative to your creative craft, do that. do that alternative as a job. Yeah. Like if you can do anything else, do that first because it will just free up your, your mind and, and your finances to do art on the side. Right. Um, and the second thing that shows up in the conversation is that, that if you really enjoy making art, like if it's, if it's the source of, of pure joy and, and this, and this is where I think the conversation, I think could, could, we could deepen this a little bit, but if it's really kind of pure joy in the sense of lightness, easygoing, then it's probably not a good idea to do it professionally yes. uh, in terms of make it, make it your life. Um, and so I enjoy playing music. I'm not a very good musician, but I sit down at the piano and I play a little bit and I experience joy. Um, and when I go to paint, it's it's a much more complex relationship that I have both to the to my craft, mm-hmm. but then also to how do I feel about this? Um, and to be honest, and this might just be the phase of my life that I'm in right now, but to be honest, at the moment, joy is probably not on the list of emotions that I feel quite often. Mm. Um, I think maybe to to not dive straight into kind of a dep- depressive tone, it's not because it's not because I don't feel deeply and passionately about what I do. Sure. But it's almost that the commitment itself and the years of of going down this rabbit hole, I think have have led me to a position where I feel like I'm responsible for a whole body of artistic research yeah. that I now I am indebted to kind of keep keep mulling over and and developing further. And it's almost like I I don't have that lightness to just do it when I'm feeling like it. There's almost something there's a there's a discipline that has to be developed to yes. even keep at it in the first place. And I think discipline and joy can go hand in hand for moments, but I think there's also tension between them.
And I think what was at least behind the question, or when I say the word joy, I think there's more in my mind, a sense of satisfaction in being able to express or articulate or even have the facility to explore those themes, those notions, the emotions, the content, whatever whatever happens once you've put a mark on the paint on the canvas and you're in dialogue, you know, speaking from my experience, there is absolutely a sense of satisfaction, even if the overlying emotions tend to pull us to darker places, of being able to have a conversation with some fluidity. Does that seem accurate to you? Yes. I, I mean, w- what you're getting at in some ways is also kind of our kind of our, our modern problem of having used up words like joy or love yes because we've 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 used them to you know signify completely superficial things and so I, the way you describe it i would agree I, I think the word joy ought to be related to that feeling of someone losing himself in you know 80 years of a creative habit yeah but the same way love ought to mean something else than how we feel about, you know, frozen yogurt or, <laughs> or, or, a donut. yeah. And so I think there is, I think there is a problem. I think that artists also are acutely aware of is, is that we notice how, how language is shifting. And, and so when it comes to our own craft, it's almost all the words that we feel like would be very natural to use. Mm-hmm. We feel we can't because it's it's either overused or or in some cases used in a completely wrong way. And um, on that note, I have a good example of being on a panel in in a for in a museum for contemporary art, and the ask the question came up is are we experiencing a new acceptance of of beauty in art, right? Um, and and it was kind of this this new aestheticism of 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 how the more more beautiful artworks are kind of entering the the landscape, mm-hmm. and and I had just my wife had just given birth to our second child, and I said, um, I said what's interesting is the problem is not can art be beautiful or not. It's always what do we mean with the word beauty or beautiful. And I just said, it's like, I experienced something beautiful when my wife gave birth for the second time. And that experience floored me. I was weeping on my knees. And now that's a complex emotion, right? There's fear, happiness, joy, kind of all wrapped up in one in something I would call beautiful. But if we empty that out, if we have terms like beauty, joy, love that we've kind of hollowed out, um, it's almost up to the creatives to kind of find new new words, but also a new way of using them. Um, yes. And so I, I certainly, the way you describe joy, I would certainly be much more comfortable <laughs> using that um, in, my, in my daily um, vocabulary. I, I want to take a moment and read something that you wrote for Image Journal. You sent me 
that I found particularly evocative and and actually touches, I think, on on this topic. You wrote, this is the beginning. A single mark is applied to a surface. This primitive action makes up the elemental condition of the act of painting, and nothing can substitute for it, neither idea nor concept. It is by this first mark, belonging to the world of the visible, that the inanimate substances of paint and surfaced are realized as the quintessence of painting. Without it, painting does not exist. And a couple things I want to unpack with you. Number one, this notion of primitive action painting is the earliest form of expressive art that we have in in human history. You know, we don't have examples of clothing. We don't have examples of music, although they've, they've found bone flutes and stuff, but nothing nearly as old as, as cave paintings and these expressive gestures. What is it in your experience, and this gets back to this talk, you know, reinventing language and trying to come up with new ways to make the invisible visible. What is it about painting for you that expresses this quintessence of life? <laughs> and it, and is it, you know, like we were saying earlier, is this something that is, you know, if you can do anything else, do that. But it's, it's less a decision and more of a um, self-preservation. I was lucky enough, I think, that very early on as a as a child i got the sense from just both already starting to paint very early but also looking through books of other painters most of them dead mm -hmm. um pretty much immediately i got the sense of this is this is me this is this is uh -huh. what i'm called to do yes. um and, and so I always say, I never had a moment really where I said, I'm going to become a painter. It was mm -hmm. always clear. I am a painter and, and this kind of romantic idealist or an almost naive approach to my craft, I think saved me from a lot of despair Yeah, because I almost felt like I, I never, it, it wasn't a career choice, right? So I couldn't have been a, if it's not a career choice, it, it can't be a bad career choice. It's just <laughs> kind of more an, an identity thing. Yes. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to exactly know why painting. Um, I think in a, in a very, in a very real sense, I, I, I sometimes think it could have been something else and I probably would have also been okay with it. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of painters, for example, are great cooks because cooking is such a, so similar to painting involving both your senses, intuition and knowledge. And if those mm -hmm. come together, you happen to be a, and a it's good a process, cook, right? And if you have passion for and it's a process. Yeah. You kind of start with something fairly simple often and turn it into 
you know, hopefully if you're good, something amazing. Um, but I think, um, yeah, this idea of, of mark making, um, I kind of wonder, you know, before painting existed and some guy or woman, you know, having gotten blood on their hands or dirt or feces, whatever, and feels, feels it as uncomfortable and kind of smears it against some surface, some rock and, and has this immediate feedback of, I was here, I left something here, um, that my hands made or that some sort of mark. And, and so I started that text, I think with this idea of like, how, how must have that, how, how did that feel outside of the realm that we have now? of like an art world where if you buy a canvas and you buy oil paint, you've already kind of created art, right? Uh, because the because canvas the only exists to have art. Right? The mm-hmm. intention. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think in early cultures, you know, kind of our idea of like art being art for its own sake is such a modern kind of very kind of new idea. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for generations, it was, it was it was kind of mark making that kind of developed into you know um personal marks or even tribal marks that would kind of you know be noticeable uh to my people um as belonging to us and and identifying us as such um but it still is as you say it's something that that children can do a whole lot earlier than than playing an instrument right um it's because it's so basic the 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 initial mark is so basic and then the question is does it develop into anything further than that which needs training and a kind of more reflective mind but um yeah i think the 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 this 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 very yeah it allowed me i think just to center myself in my own place and and body and 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 do something completely independent of anybody else which i think is another aspect of painting that i find um you know beautiful that it's there's a feedback that happens um with the work um while you're doing it you become viewer and maker at the same time mm-hmm. and so that's also been something that I've enjoyed quite a bit. I'm looking at images that are up at the Chalk Horse Gallery website. I think that's in Sydney, if I'm correct. And yeah, and this certainly in comparison to other pieces that I've seen, you have your relationship to color is very uh, the word that comes to mind is haunting and a a common theme is the body human body there's human forms that are somewhat ghostly there's interactions sometimes they're moving through one another they're disembodied they have definite forms but maybe not fully realized in detail and 
and it also seems to have a lot to do with relationships. So I want to talk a little bit about about expressing bodies and for you what what is interesting about bodies and what is it that that comes through to you when when you work with this subject. Wow, yeah, that's a that's the <laughs> that's the question, right? You know, um, and the, one of the reasons that I ask it that way is because you know, one of the questions that I was going to ask you is what do you find most objectionable in talking about your work or art in general? And as an as a interviewer in the role of an interviewer, part of what I want to avoid is saying, this is what I see and why did you make these decisions and such and such and so on. And the work stands on its own. And I think as an artist or as artists, one of the wonderful things about that is like you describe in, in the article, in the essay, the moment you put a mark on the canvas, you're in dialogue and there's that process begins to emerge and there's a call and response that happens. But that once you've stepped away and you've made the decision that this is, I'm going to leave this at this point in time, the work has its own voice and it says an infinite number of things to an infinite number of people. So I'm more interested about you and your relationship to the subject than I am necessarily about the meaning of, of the work. I, it, if that makes sense. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I, and I wasn't, I thought the question was, was good. It was more where to begin and how much time <laughs> do we have? <laughs> um, well, well, let's, let's start with one observation I have about our current culture so to speak uh, at large um there's there's a a real irony that we we have you know everybody is running around with their smartphone taking pictures of themselves or others mm-hmm. and you could look at that superficially and get the sense as like man these people are really into into bodies, right? I mean, a lot of like right. the whole health movement and, and, and kind of, you know, all the, all the plastic surgery and, and everybody trying to look as fit as possible, you know, and posting basically half themselves, half, half nude on, on, on public platforms. I would argue that that has nothing to do with the body. Mm-hmm. But it's a complete um, kind of uh, an it's it's the the idolization of of the image. Yes, um, yes, I see that. So the it's not so much about feeling comfortable with having a body and being a creature. It's all about sacrificing the body for the image, right? And and I mean. Plastic surgery is the prime example. I would say is is you're you're putting the body basically through an operation for the sake of looking good whenever mm-hmm. the paparazzi snap a pic, right? Um, and and on the other side, I think there's 
you know, if you if you if you look at the culture that kind of has said no to imagery, they tend to kind of enforce the spirit, you know, the or the spiritual realm by saying, you know, let's go meditate and 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 also kind of, you know, see the body as something, you know, temporary. And the goal is to kind of leave the body behind and, and eventually, um, you know, land somewhere where we don't have to deal with an aging, an aging bone structure, muscle mass that's that's uh, um, slowly letting us down. And so, I I see a culture right now that has a huge blind spot for the fact that we are creatures that were animals. Um, there's really not a whole lot of voices that have a very positive understanding, a holistic understanding of what it means to, to be a body, not just have a body, right. That carries our yeah. brain around that we eventually will download onto a server. But to say, it's like, no, no, this is, there's a nervous system that's connected to, to tissue and, and we need this body to actually place ourselves. And so um, I think all I've always, you know, in philosophy, um, all the phenomenologists, I think, have have pointed, you know, to various degrees, have, have pointed that out as this is our interface. The way we are experiencing the world is through through our bodies. There's no other way. Everything else is 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 a completely superficial shortcut. Yes. So that kind of laid the groundwork for for letting the body be present at all. Um, and the second kind of, for me, still unanswered question is, is it even possible to deal with the theme of the body in painting properly? Or, or adequately. Um, so, you know, there's plenty of paintings that will have bodies in them, right? Mm-hmm. And and plenty of painters could say the same thing I just said um, and and also mean it sincerely as I do. The the big project for me is is to to kind of look at take a critical look at the 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 medium of painting and see is it is it possible to deal with a with a the theme of a body um in a way that i could say this is good this is good reflection right and it's an ongoing project say good I mean obviously that's a subjective term but there are things for instance I'm looking at the picture called with outer organs and and we'll get into the naming mm-hmm. of of paintings which is fascinates me and I'd love to hear your thoughts about that but the picture itself I'll um, try to describe as a, a squatting figure where we can see sort of a representation of intestines, perhaps a heart, perhaps a lung, 
perhaps a brain, uh, a gestural arm holding what could also be an organ. The skin itself is an organ. There is, there is inherently a sense of time in, in this particular painting, but I think in, in much of your work that correlates to the human experience that sense of of decay and or growth and relationships because very much in contrast to that exact world you're describing of the instagram of the now of the live your best life you know you only live once seize the moment kind of thing these paintings describe a sense of transition and um, of both permanence and impermanence. And I, I hate vague art speak, so I'm trying to be as precise as I can. But that you certainly have, at least to me, conveyed a, a more holistic aspect of the human experience and uh, the human perception through that work. The other thing I'll say about with outer organs is it's hard to see in a digital representation. And that's actually something that you talk about a lot, or at least you wrote about in that essay is paintings need to be felt. You need to be in the room with them. They are objects in which we relate to. It's not just the image. It is a, an experience because of the presence of, of the paint, whatever that is. There are thousands of microtonal dots in the backdrop of this painting, which could be representational of days, of, of breaths, of, but the intention of all of those also speaks to to this idea of of time as an organ and time as something that we contend with or don't. There's no question there. <laughs> Just talking. I, I like it. I like it a lot. And I know I know you said earlier that you want to avoid, you know, saying what you what you see, but I think I and and this might get into a little bit more of, of how I approach painting in the first place mm-hmm. is none of these works have any sort of preliminary sketch. Right. There's never any sort of image idea. They all flow from the act of, of painting of, of that, as I said, in that text of that very, very primitive beginning of just making a mark. And, and I, and, and that mark making in, is, I, I mean, in a literal sense, I'll sometimes just use the old paint from the last work and just kind of dry my brushes on the new canvas and kind of carry on from there. Um, and that means in many ways, I need someone from the outside to come and actually with fresh eyes see something that I never approached as as an image mm-hmm. or a picture. I always just approached it as the act of painting. And so I'm always incredibly grateful 
when I actually hear someone, no matter what it is, what they see, mm-hmm. when they say what, how they interpret it, I just, you know, there's, there's no argument with me in terms of saying it's like, oh no, that's not what I meant because that's, you know, a whole separate, <laughs> I think, idea of art that I don't affirm. You know, I think the whole idea is, is when you're making art is there's, you give it away and, and right. the person hearing, seeing it basically will be touched or untouched by it, depending on a, a load of other factors. And, and you don't get to say what you <laughs> thought it meant, you know, or, or didn't. Yeah. Um, but so sharing that, I think is always, I, I'm always very appreciative um, and yeah, I think I like, I like how you, I would, I would say that's, I have a, a similar feeling about that work. Um, I think it's also most of the works I make this differentiation between that they never, they're never dealing with how the body looks. They're always dealing what it feels like to have a body. Right. Yes. And, and I like to bring this example of how my experience of, of having a, a body changed when we had kids mm. and I would have nights where my kids would crawl into bed and would stick their feet or hands into my face. <laughs> and that experience yes. of just spending, you know, eight, 10 hours a day, in that half conscious state of sleep where now you're constantly being touched by other, you know, arms and feet. And sometimes you don't even know if it's your, your own or not. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a sense, a bodily sense that you, that kind of inscribes itself onto your, into your, onto your understanding that is very hard to picture, right? It's hard to kind of, just give up a, a, a one image of that. And I think, I think, whereas, you know, everybody's taking selfies to kind of show someone how they look, it's very hard to kind of show someone how you feel, right. Which is right. why people go to therapy and why you have these intricate relationships with either paid professionals or good friends that kind of are aware of what it actually feels to be alive or to mm-hmm. be, you know, this, this creature. And so I think in my work, I'm really trying to look at the latter aspect of, of this, of this, you know, this sensation of, of, of being a body rather than just showing someone what a body looks like, which I think is kind of the least interesting part about bodies is, is what they look like. And everybody who's ever been, you know, deeply in love with a very attractive partner Mm-hmm. will eventually have a really hefty fight with that person and their attractiveness is not what's going to save you right right there's all this other underlying stuff that is now a part of the relationship which is why you have hollywood constantly getting divorced is because you can be the most attractive person and and still a jerk yeah well and also this idea of of being in such an image, superficially image conscious culture, there's something to me about your pictures of the body, which transcend a plastic representation and actually 
move into an expressive, performative art. And I really wish that I could be in the same room with them because I would be able to get more of a sense of motion and and how they're created and how they live on the surface. But that notion of of having trying to express the feeling of being in a body or being with another body or being intertwined or holding um, and throughout that range of emotion are we don't have, or I should say we have lost to a large degree our ability to articulate that. You know, I, I, that is, that's one of the reasons I created this, this show and I created my my organization was to try to help people connect to specifically those things about mm. how how to create and to connect to those meaningful things and and this work seems to to do that in a in a very visceral way um and in a a very unique way so I think you've succeeded. Thank you. I want to ask you a little bit about your relationship to uh, color because they are, it, it ranges all over the place. There's a lots of, of bright and primary. There's oftentimes of dark and uh, blacks somewhere, but there's, there's really no pattern. And so in the same way that you're talking about starting with a, a brush stroke and then moving from there and having a dialogue, does color happen the same way in that process? I, I would say so. I mean, it's like eventually if you do something long enough, you develop a certain style that you can't run from. Right, you know, it's the 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 irony of the artists who always think they're super free about doing whatever they want seem to be the most predictable. Sure, <laughs> um, and and they're kind of so called their so called you know in, ingenuity or or their you know their their self image or their self understanding of of making something brand new is really only for themselves. Every everybody else recognizes the handwriting pretty much instantly. And so I would say certainly looking over, you know, over the course of the last 20 years, I can definitely see that for whatever reason, (laughs) um, a certain palette kind of keeps emerging. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if I try to kind of do something differently, just for the sake of the experiment, it ends up still very much being mine, which I think has to do with just the way I, you know, treat everything from the, the paints I select to to how thin I work with them uh, to how clean I get my brushes or if I clean them at all. So a lot of it is just kind of residue from other colors that carries on into other jars of paint. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely in, intuitive in the sense that I feel like every form kind of challenges me to respond to it and every color does the same. Um, and there's no, I don't have, I wish I had some really smart 
thing to say how I go about that. Um, I, I, I think it's certainly maybe, you know, ties back to this aspect of the, the joy that gives me enough freedom to just paint with whatever, whatever color just kind of is closest or, or intuitively feels, you know, um, like what I should be using. Yes. So there's no, there's no method per se, but there is on the other hand, um, a, a deep sense of how far I should keep pushing the painting until it actually comes together. So they'll, I might find a certain layer of, of yellow that I'll just go over numerous times in, in different ways. And sometimes it's almost a strategy to kind of pass time, you know, to, to use a very tiny brush to apply the paint um, where some of those things could be sped up, but I feel like I need my, I'm, I'm tricking my body into doing something slower that it could be doing faster mm-hmm. because I know by the time I'm at the end of it, I'll know what to do next. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think the, so every, every time I feel like I, I kind of sabotage the whole process <laughs> in a way that I'll, I'll purposely choose the wrong color. Like I'll know this won't work. Yeah. Which means I'll have to repair something down, down the way. And, and it's not, you know, it's, it sounds like an idiot working, but it's really my way of giving myself time to reflect upon the work that I can only do when I'm in front of the work. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not actually painting, it's really hard to keep that focus. Yes. And so I think it's the act of applying paint even if I know I'm just doing it to kind of buy time is something I'll do. And color will, will factor in a, into that portion of the process quite a bit where I'll just kind of purposely choose something that I know I'll overpaint later um, just for the sake of yeah, buying some time. I love the idea of of knowing your process well enough to to sabotage it and trust that the idea will come or it's it's like you're hiding little treasures around your house that when you clean you come across and and they're there. One thing I'm very curious about you spoke about how your life your relationships um you mentioned the experience of of having and being with your children moves into your artwork. Can you talk about how your artwork and the process of making, creating, and working in that world affects your life? It never actually was quite as obvious until uh, COVID kind of put the world into lockdown. Mm. Um probably three years ago, I would have had a harder time answering that, that question, but now kind of feeling the pressure of what it feels like to have your family home pretty much all the time and not being able to 
to work at the studio um, meant that I got a, a better understanding of what the the conditions are that I really do need or at yeah. least prefer to be working and how if and and kind of the 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 reverse to kind of what what happens if I you know don't have them or kind of how my my identity as an artist kind of is is lived out within the family and mm-hmm. one aspect was that during lockdown I actually had less isolation than previously because we had we have four kids all the school kids were in homeschooling so we were home you know trying to just play play school and so i really didn't have uh the time the the many hours that i was used to just for myself um and i noticed that i get a little bit nervous (laughs) when i don't have time just to kind of be in that space and and just be present in my in my body and and in the process of of painting this really that speaks to that that idea of the artist you know artist capital a i kind of hesitate to use the term but this people for whom this outward expression is not negotiable and to subdue that or subvert it they do that at at some peril. <laughs> I can certainly attest to that as well as a result of, of the lockdown. Yeah. And I think the hard, I think the, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. I think if you do something long enough and you, and you have a understanding of what it means to do something well, mm-hmm. even if you're not doing it as well as you hope you could, which is why you keep at it. But but just your understanding of quality in any field, I think, gives you an understanding of quality in other fields, right? Yeah. Hence, good cooking, good music, good film. But in my case, also good parenting. And so hmm. the, the the challenge is obviously, you know, I'm not I'm not a good parent if I enter my family if I enter the home as an artist, right? My right. my kids don't need an artist home to play with them. They need a father to come home. And, and I very often wish I were a better father than I am. I think most parents to some degree feel like they're, you know, not living up to their calling uh, entirely. Um, And for me, it's, it's, it's really difficult at times to feel this pull in, in two directions of, of, of feeling like I, I know I ought to switch off the artist's cap to be present at, at home. And my wife certainly would confirm that as true. She'll notice that I'll, my head will be stuck in the studio and my body might be at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, I think it's certainly one of the reasons why many artists were crap parents. Um, I, I, um, I, I hope that my, my, my own children will say, um, he was an okay painter, but a great dad. So I'm working yeah. definitely more in that direction, you know, than, than, than the other. Um, but yeah, I think if you, 
if you do something, especially something that is so go so deep uh, and and is kind of draws on so many levels of of what it means to exist as a person, you know, from from philosophy and 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 kind of religion and identity and um, just the actual craft of making it, it's hard just to kind of turn that off. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been, I mean, it still is challenging just having four kids and um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that I can, that I can still make art. Um, but making art as a parent is, I'm sure many listeners would agree is, is the big creative act. Well, that's, that's exactly right. As you were talking, I was thinking, is there any more expressive creative work than parenting regardless of the outcome on the wide spectrum of good or bad it is it is ultimately a a reflection of the choices we make the the moods that we paint with how how we bring ourselves the intention all of those things and i i also struggle with with that very dichotomy of boy i i've got all these great ideas i'd really like to go work on but what is what's most important and what's most salient and and what are the decisions more importantly that i've made <laughs> that i don't have to second guess yeah. you know it's one thing to to be yeah. a, a an artist single or you know and not have those relationships or the relationships that you can take or leave and that you can satellite around. It's another to have these, you know, these, these lives for whom you are ultimately responsible until they grow the wings to, to take off and do their thing. That, that, that artistic practice is, I can't see how one wouldn't affect the other. Yeah. No, you're right. I think, um, you know, there's a, a lot of different directions I'd love to go, and and there's one um, one concept that you talked about in your article about the hospitality of great paintings, which was a phrase that just struck me like a bell, because on the sort of outside of it. It hospitality seems sort of an, a, a living engagement, but the idea of of a painting and the presence of a painting of this intentional representation as inviting the gaze and inviting anyone, I think, as you wrote, strangers to encounter, uh, is a it's a real refreshing perspective, and I'm curious. If that, if you're cognizant of that while you're working, of of the viewer's gaze, I know you talked about how you love the collaborative interplay of other people's views, and so that gives you kind of a sense of <laughs> feeling around of what the emotional landscape is that you're working in. But are you aware of that that hospitable presence as you're working? Uh, definitely. I mean, I, it's what allows me to, to work in the first place, right? If a painting 
worth painting per se would be the act of challenging the maker to come with, you know, preconceived notion of what he's about to do and a kind of a good argument for doing it. I probably wouldn't be painting. I wouldn't be good enough to kind of prepare, get all my ducks in order and kind of approach the work that way. Right. Um, I mean, there's plenty of jobs that require a certain amount of, you know, knowledge of where you're going to (laughs) go with this. And I think a lot of creative crafts don't necessarily. Um, And I find this, I find it remarkable that people so often approach painting and I get this question occasionally where they look at the painting and say, what does it mean? Tell me, (laughs) what does it mean? What, yeah. You know, what should I, what should I see? It's like, it's usually what, what does it mean? Or what, or even worse, like, what do you want to tell me with this? And, and imagine, you know, because we've mentioned food a couple of times, imagine you cooking for a friend and before he even tries the food, he kind of looks at you and says, what does this mean? Like, tell me, tell me about what do you want to tell me? How is it supposed to taste? (laughs) Exactly. How is this supposed to taste? And you, as a cook, you'll just say, it's like, well, just eat it. Yeah. You know, enjoy. And I think our relationship to, and this is maybe one of the kind of real challenges for being a contemporary or a painter in the, in these times where we're so information obsessed is that the, the luxury of a, the, the luxury of time that we give musicians, for example, right. If we go to a concert is something I really, really, um, admire and I'm I'm also a little bit jealous of yeah because I wish that people would come to a show there would be the same agreement that they'll say I'll come to see these 10 paintings and I'll you know it's obviously free I don't have to pay but I the the the, the etiquette of of you know museum going would just say it's like I have to look at every painting for at least 20 minutes it's just impolite <laughs> not to do so the same way it's impolite you get up in the middle of a concert, right? Right. And what's so great about what's so great about this agreement that you will sit through a concert or a movie for that matter, unless it's really, really bad, which everybody has maybe experienced once or twice, but generally you say, I'm going to listen to the end. And so you might actually start the first 15 minutes being bored out of your mind or even saying it's like, I hate this. Mm-hmm. And as you're sitting there, something unfolds that draws you in and you start relaxing, you know, your heartbeat changes and you start being present in, in the space that the music draws up. And I think that painting can, if we allow it to, do the very same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard people say painting, you know, music is great because it works. It's an art form that works with time and painting kind of happens in the moment. You know, there's like a snapshot um, that you can have of a painting. You see it, everything all at once. I don't think that's very accurate. I think neither of painting right. and nor is it very knowledgeable in terms of how our vision or perception works. Right. Right. Um, I mean, we're blind to most of our surroundings unless we consciously 
take it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to cultivate perception. It's a, it's a cultivating yes. act to actually spend time to look at something and let it unfold um, in your in your mind's eye, so to speak. And this all means that the hospital the hospitality that happens is is there is a space, a visual space that is that is um, offered that you can kind of go walk into, and and I'm not talking about you know like the painting as a window into a world and then you wander around as if you're in Lord of the Rings. It's it's much more it's it's much more unique and in some ways also. Um, complex than that it's it's the idea that you actually start losing images that you have in your head right it becomes there's a line in that same text where it says painting is iconoclastic Mm -hmm. um that speaks to this idea that good painting will ultimately challenge your preconceived pictures of both the painting but everything else as well um, and so it's the act of letting, letting shapes shift and letting things move that are actually static and yes. good paintings, I think does, does exactly that. It's just nothing's moving, but if you, if, if you're there present long enough, it shows you how little you actually saw that very first moment. And so it changes and hopefully and the movement is internal. Absolutely. Yeah. It's internal, but at the same time, you kind of wonder, it's like, how little do we actually see of the world that we think we're so alert to in the first place? And so hopefully this act of learning to, to have your mind and your perception changed, um, you know, teaches us something about how to maybe engage the world we think we're, we're in, in control of. There's a, I don't know if it's a maxim, but at least it's something that I I used to tell my theater students when I was introducing them to some basic dramatic concepts about presences to notice what you notice, not just to notice things about something, but if you're going to sit in front of a painting and your first instinct is, I don't like this painting or mm-hmm. it's ugly or whatever that is, is to, is to then separate that into two categories one the perception and then the perception of the perception oh well why and to actually have a dialogue and to allow the the image to start the dialogue within yourself of why do i find this objectionable and what is it about this particular thing and to get more detailed in that way you're you're not just making a judgment or, you know, swiping left on an Instagram picture, you're, you're actually interrogating yourself as well as your surroundings. And I think that 
the best the best work does that i certainly get that sense from your work is that you know i it's almost sometimes like looking through a fog like the, i see something there i'm not sure what it is i could dismiss it and move on or i could wait and see what's revealed that kind of that part of the um hospitality that i think you're pointing at is 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 the layers is the depths it's a it's an invitation to come deeper into the house and to try some of the food on the table absolutely yeah, yeah. the what's i mean there's there's a really interesting um i think illustration here from um you know the word the world of words um so to speak most people especially nowadays are reading the news every single day right i mean there's so much happening in the world so everybody has most people have an unhealthy diet of news intake yeah and some of these articles are incredibly long right and if you think of it most you know there's great poetry that's only a couple of lines right why is it that most people will have no problem reading endless paragraphs of news of news information but if you would give them a poem they would say it's like i don't have time for that right that's just too right. hard i can't you know there's, there's there's this this immediate aversion or rejection of 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 poetry mm -hmm. and i would argue it's not because it's more complicated right it doesn't use any big words i mean right. certainly less words than you have in 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 the newspaper but I think the problem is poetry the same way is also an invitation. And it's not just giving you something, it's inviting you to give something back, right? Your time, your focus, your attention. And we're not, I think we're, we're so uncultivated in that sense mm -hmm. that, that we're, we want, to receive everything kind of ideally pre-chewed, yes. you know, in, in a form that we, we can kind of get. And so when we have the option, you know, if you give someone the option to say, it's like, how would you like to start your day? Here's a poem or here's, you know, the New York times people say, give me the New York times. Yes. Um, and, and I wish we could have, a, you know, we could cultivate both and, and I think people would notice that in some ways, the news of the world doesn't make sense if you don't have any sort of poetic diet, you know, or right. po po poetry in your in your diet, just because then it's it's empty information. You won't be able to gauge, you know, if 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 I think some so much ethics and, and morals is kind of dealt with in art that is not dealt with. In, in, in the news world. And so I think art does offer a very, very healthy corrective for our information and image driven society that mm -hmm. is really superficial. And a lot of these surfaces are important to have and to look at. So I'm, I'm not against Instagram. I'm not against news, but I think if it's, if that's our only sense of reality and we never we never accept the invitation to enter into the spaces that are offered to us from great painting at 
any art really, right? Music, yeah. theater, and and poetry. I think I think we end up living in our own world that is not necessarily the best one. Yes. On that note, I have one more question for you, and I know you're a listener to the show, so you know what's coming. What is the question that's not being asked right now? Um, how can we look at brokenness, both personal or societal, and not just see it as something inevitable, right? That has to be countered with something, you know, something new or better, but as a chance for mending and repair. I think that's, I think for me personally, um, one of the things I'm interested in cultivating more and see happening. Thank you. Well, Daniel, I hope this is the first of many conversations that we have. I really value this dialogue. I love the fact that we've connected. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out and, and to be here on the show. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. And despite the tardiness in our time zones. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks again, Daniel. I really appreciate it. It's great to to catch up and, and get to know you better. Take care.